You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hi, America. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Kurt Russell opens the Stargate to Bone Tomahawk. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates in the next episode. One has two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the, not that we need any more of it, but the chaos begin. And I am Adam Thomas, and I gotta wish that all this chaos would end. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and finally, I got all the symbols together, I got the Stargate to open to bring Adam back to the show! Yeah. I hope I end up like Ra in the movie, though, and just explode. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's nice to see you again, too. It's, yeah. it's been a, <laughs> nothing's became, happened since the last time you were on. I became a nihilist since uh, since I haven't been on the show for a week. That's that, It's my religion, man. It's my cross to bear. Or not a cross, because that shit's not real. Well, where's Flea and uh, Peter Stormare right. to help you along on your nihilist quest? <laughs> uh, but welcome back, Adam. Uh, you, were, you were gone last week again. Yeah. Shit's been cray-cray. What are you talking about? Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing's going on. It's fine. It's nothing's fine. going on. You, you, know, you know, you'd think tonight would be the night to like, like, dude, Thomas, I can't record. You know, there's an epidemic. But uh, no, tonight I'm here. I'm here. Yes, We're good. Uh, for those of you who might be listening after uh, the week this comes out, um, you know, in the long future times when aliens discover this after civilization ends in, like, a few weeks, um, we are recording this in, like, right as the national emergency stuff for the coronavirus just hit America. Um, mm-hmm. So we might as well just briefly just say this off at the top. Um, we hope everyone out there's safe. We hope you're washing your goddamn hands. Yep, um, and your buttholes, and your buttholes. Yes, of course. With all that hoarded toilet paper, you fucks. <laughs> And we uh, hope especially that uh, you and your loved ones are taking precautions, especially if you feel sick and your place of work hasn't closed, don't go. (laughs) Don't go to fucking work. And enjoy having your kids home. If you're like me, great. But no, for real though, everyone stay safe. Wash your goddamn hands, dude. Just just wash your hands. Don't go to large groups of people because especially like concerts, conventions, even though most of them are canceled, but there's still a couple that are going off. Don't go. Don't go to the bar on St. Patrick's Day. Just be smart. Probably not the movie theater, uh, because who knows how long yeah. they actually clean the upholstery on those seats. Oh, never. Are you kidding me? Never. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I worked at a movie theater fairly recently, and yes, I can confirm that. <laughs> but those of you who are still sticking with us now, welcome back to the Double-Edged Double Bill. We are still here to record, um, uh, because, uh, you know, the very day that we're putting this out is a very special day. Um, it's not just St. Patrick's Day, which, happy St. Patrick's or, Day. You're right. Yep, 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 yep. Hopefully you're drinking inside, like we said. Uh, but it's also the birthday of a very special man, Adam. St. Patrick, right? <laughs> yes, who um, <laughs> has a giant mustache and was once Santa Claus. Um, it is Kurt Russell. It is the birthday of Mr. Kurt Russell, a film legend, many would argue. Mm-hmm. An American icon. A treasure, one could say. 
Yes, yes. And so uh, we're honoring his birthday today by covering two movies of his. Uh, for those of you who don't know the basic gimmick of our show, um, every week uh, we end up picking a random selection of a good and a bad feature based around a topic. Either one of us has two good movies or two bad movies. What we ended up getting for our uh, topic was uh, our bad pick, which we'll discuss first, which is Stargate. That was my pick. And then our good pick, which is Bone Tomahawk from Adam. But before we get into that, let's definitely talk about Kurt Russell a bit. Adam, uh, <laughs> we're both fans of Kurt Russell. Um, when do you remember first discovering Kurt? Russell? When did Kurt Russell really crystallize for you as, a, as an icon? I remember when Tequila Sunrise came out. Now, I didn't see it because I was way too young, but I remember the posters were everywhere, and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And all the, the ladies liked it and everything like that. I mean, that's when I recognized his face, but at the first time, I was like, oh, I love this guy. It's probably Tango and Cash. Which you've discussed previously on the show. <laughs> yeah, probably Tango Cash, and there was like Backdraft, you know, things like that. But I, I got to say, probably Tango Cash, because then that led me to, you know, like Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, all those. Well, it's interesting. I was going, like, just through his filmography in general, which and the big reason why we decided to discuss him is Kurt Russell has such a fascinating filmography, mm-hmm. considering he was a child actor and uh, got his main star. He had a decade's worth of Disney movies that he did, not like computer board tennis shoes, stuff like that. Weirdly, did you know this story that apparently the last words Walt Disney ever said were Kurt Russell? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's fucking wild. Uh, but then after that, he started kind of progressing into what we were kind of mentioning before uh, with like the, you know, sort of John Carpenter films like The Thing or Big Trap in Little China kind of doing his um, sort of uh, B-movie Harrison Ford alternative mm. shtick which is also interesting given he was one of many people who auditioned to be han solo there's actual footage of that in documentaries and stuff of him reading for han solo it wouldn't have worked kurt russell never comes across to me like uh sort of sleazy or or anything like that like han solo would need to be a little bit sleazy he was a dirty smuggler i mean and kurt russell to me doesn't come he's too i don't know if it's he's too good looking or maybe too wholesome or something like even when he's you know Snake Plissken and all that, he never comes across sleazy. He just comes across like a badass. Uh, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, yeah, I just don't see it. Well, I can kind of agree with that because really thinking about it, especially that aspect of it, I was like, hmm, what kind of distinguishes Kurt Russell from especially like Harrison Ford or even a lot of the action contemporaries he had in the eighties? I think the big thing is just he feels the most sort of grounded and real out of any of them. He obviously plays like very over the top characters at times, but he feels the most like you probably knew that guy in high school. And unlike say Harrison Ford kind of has that, but he's more of like the unattainable one where it's just like, Oh, he was like the big jock at school. And I, no one could get near him unless you were like one of the hot cheerleaders versus Kurt Russell feels like a guy who was kind of near that zone, but also was kind of friendly to everybody. Yeah. He's the quarterback who like his best friend was the head of the AV club. Right. Like they, yeah. like, they grew up together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's kind of the vibe I get. And I think, really, the first time, I, I didn't even realize this until I was doing the research, I think the first time I ended up actually, like, seeing a movie with at least him to some degree in was um, Fox and the Hound. He plays the adult oh, version yeah. of the Hound. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's true. Yeah, it's sort yeah, of the weird yeah. favor he did for Disney after he's just like, look, I'm leaving. I'll do a voice <laughs> of your dog in your <laughs> right. movie. He is sort of sincerity is a big thing that sold him throughout the rest of his career. Like, Big Trouble in Little China, that works because Jack Burden sincerely has no idea what the fuck's going on. At all. No. He's the most clueless, tough guy in a movie. Big Trouble in Little China, you know, I, I, we're not going to talk about too much because we have other two movies, but that is probably, bar none, my f- favorite Kurt Russell movie. It's close to being my favorite Carpenter movie. It's interchangeable with, like, three other movies for my number one. I, I absolutely adore that movie. Yeah, I would still probably see The Thing 
is my personal favorite. Yeah, and that's, and that's another one with like argue. with him and the thing. What I love about that is he also is very sincere. Like he's sort of this badass type, but also he has very sincere moments that really linger. Like especially a meme of the last I don't know four years since maybe shit's been getting bad. Who knows? Um, has been people posting the gif of him saying, uh, "Nobody trusts each other. We're tired." <laughs> <laughs> don't know what's going on. That's the most sincere mood possible of, like, the last few years, for sure. And he expresses it perfectly in that movie. Absolutely. He's so disinterested in everything that's going on until shit really hits the fan. It's amazing. It's also interesting, because we're talking about two movies that are not a part of, like, those sort of bigger points in his career that a lot of people point to. Because we're talking about a movie from the 90s, where I would argue he felt kind of lost, in a lot of ways, in his career. Yeah. And yeah. then we're talking about another movie that I would argue is like right at the start of him kind of coming back after a pretty long absence. Which Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll let's go it. ahead. We'll get into it, baby. Right, we'll, we'll get, get into it. all of that. So let's go ahead and get into first Stargate from nineteen ninety four. It has been buried for thousands of years. Where'd you find this? I've I've never seen anything like this. One man will break the code. The other will lead the way. On. We've opened a doorway to a world we know nothing about. What a rush. Kurt Russell. James Spader. Stargate. So, uh, Stargate uh, came out, as I mentioned, in 1994, uh, specifically October 28th, 1994, uh, from director Roland Emmerich, uh, which is weird. This is the first Roland Emmerich we have, movie we've ever covered for the show. And hopefully the last. I, don't know, I think he, there's one in particular I would like to defend, that mm. I would like to, to mount a, a full defense on that I think is quite good. Um, mm. The most of his movies I agree I'm not a huge fan of. I really dig White House Down a lot. <laughs> I Do you? I haven't seen it underrated. yet, man. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I did. All right. Well, I have it on on my uh, thing, so maybe I'll watch it. I, I vastly prefer that to Olympus Has Fallen. It, it, it's a lot. It's Ooh, much more fun. I really, like, I really Olympus like Olympus Has Fallen. Fallen too. So. I, I okay. this, this might be our cross to bear. This might be our, our fight moment, <laughs> like our um, Armageddon uh, Deep Impact moment. Like I guess I suppose because that was another one of those which was like it's a White House siege movie in 2013. Two of them <laughs> right, coming exactly. down. It was really weird. Volcano, volcano Dante speak. All right, totally. let's do this. Yes, yes. Uh, but um, Roland Emmerich, this is at very much the start of sort of his American career because he made a bunch of movies in Germany in the 80s and then he did Universal Soldier in 1992, which was enough of a hit to get people to like. Okay, let's give you money for this interesting idea. Which uh, Starkeeds a really weird sort of movie considering that like this particular big budget movie is probably like the least sort of remembered aspect of this massive media franchise considering there were at least three different tv shows one of which lasted 10 fucking years yeah there was toys there was comic books books everything yeah i i think you you hit the nail on the head there that the the actual film is the least seen out of everything that's true, even though it was decently successful at the time, made just shy of $200 million um, at the time on a $55 million budget. But I think it did get kind of lost in the shuffle because I think, I haven't seen much of like the other Stargate content. This is my first exposure to Stargate. I haven't even seen this movie before. But watching it even, I kind of felt like this is a, not a terrible, but a lesser execution of a pretty cool idea with the Stargate. I absolutely agree, because I, I saw this when it came out, like I saw it at the show. I was like 11. So this was right up my alley. I, I dug it. Uh, but even then, as a kid with my brother, 
I used to make fun of some of the tonal shifts in it where it just gets too silly in parts and too comedic. And it's too, it's kind of all over the place because the character design is really fucking cool. The armor, the mm-hmm. idea of everything is cool. Uh, crying game is raw is really good. It's probably my least favorite James Spader ever. I do not like him in this very much. He's, 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 he's annoying. And just the comedic, sort of angles they're trying to take it's really rough and then the whole crux of kurt russell's character you know where he his son found his gun and killed himself so he's all depressed and then he meets this other kid and paternal relationship with him and then all it's like it just it feels so forced and just to give him an arc right and it doesn't feel that sincere which is something we also talked about with like the the kurt russell sort of appeal and in this movie he feels so much more like an action figure which I would have been fine with if they would have just gone with that then. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want him just to be the badass, you know, ex-Marine or ex-SEAL or, you know, mercenary, whatever you want him to be, and then you bring him back into the fold, fine. Make him all about business. Make him basically Todd from Soldier. Totally fine. But then they try to add these moments of levity and and, and these bullshit sort of character arcs to him that don't fit. It doesn't fit. That's the thing. All the most of the character arcs in this movie you can't buy. Like James Spader all of a sudden growing these balls, and then him and this girl getting together, and then I'm gonna stay, and all that. I never for once do I buy it. Anyway. It reminds me weirdly a lot of a movie we previously covered on the show, Atlantis: The Lost Empire. Yeah, it really does. He's it's very much that same really. Milo character. Yeah, he's yeah. Milo. hundred percent, he's Milo. Yeah, but he doesn't even have like the J- the Michael J. Fox kind of charm. With him, this feels very yeah. much... And James Spader really did not want to be in this movie. He said oh, he has said right out, like, yeah, I really did this for the money, and I hated this fucking script. But I think that's the biggest problem, is, like, those two are so miscast, mm-hmm. um, and don't have, like, the right thing to work with with this particular movie, that I think it does lessen what I think has a lot of potential. With especially, like, I agree, the actual Stargate itself, which obviously, 1994, the effects are very much of their time, but they're very consistent for their time. At the oh, yeah, time. they're decent. They're not yeah, terrible. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to kind of go back to what you just said about Kurt Russell and James Spader. You know what it feels like? It feels like this the script was written with two completely different actors in mind mm-hmm. and tailored to those actors, and that Kurt Russell and James Spader both have the third choice. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. You know, like it feels like it should have been Dolph Lundgren or someone like that, or even a Michael J. Fox is a James Spader role or someone even of that ilk. Uh, neither one, they both feel completely out of place. French Stewart. <laughs> See, I'm going to say this. Like, when I, I like first. Him. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I think French Stewart's, like, fine doing what he does. And this is not what he normally does. He normally plays, like, sort of, like, skeezy dudes. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he plays, like, a, a soldier. It's his film debut. And he's pretty fun. He's, like, the most consistent character in the whole fucking movie to me, which is weird. I did not expect that. When especially I first saw him, I'm like, that's fucking French Stewart. But he's not squinting or talking weird, so it's, like, it's hard to tell. Uh, there's a lot of weird people that show up. Like, Richard Kind is one of the scientists with a sweater. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, Jay Davidson, um, who had just come off of the crying game. This was his, his last particular role before he kind of completely disappeared off the map and kind of started. I think he's a fashion designer now, if I'm correct. Yeah, or, or like yeah, he's like a slash fashion designer, photographer, model. Like he's he's all over the map. Yeah, and I think he he works pretty well as. Yeah, he's good, man. Right, right. He's... I I, I think all the raw stuff uh, works pretty well, especially this is in that weird zone for film where it's like 
right before CG completely took over. So you have some CG effects, but also a lot of practical stuff at the same time. And it's a really good mix here, like especially those helmets you mentioned, how they like when they disappear, it's CG, but it works fine. And the actual design, like when that whole sequence where Raw kills a bunch of people. Um, and the, the weird sort of corners and stuff is like an effective sort of almost horror sequence as well. Um, mm-hmm. and some with a mostly practical suit. Um, and obviously even the Stargate itself, like the actual sort of like weird goo of sorts that like transports. Yeah. Like the, the water, like it looks like rippling water. Right. Right. Um, yeah, very but, cool. Right. But then also the actual like design of the crux of it, like the actual the circular motion of it actually looks very practical and very real. That's the thing. I think the best part of this movie to me is sort of like that build up to the like Stargate mm. opening up. I think all that stuff actually works really well. It's a really good build up to this whole concept, even though it is a lot of James Peter doing the typical, like this is what uh, a blockbuster filmmaker maker thinks like a science nerd does, which is like, Oh, I'm going to draw this monitor and I'm going to do this. <laughs> Excuse me. I have to sneeze a lot. Allergies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And to go back to that real quick, you're telling me, so the government hired the best of the best scientific minds who are all versed in other languages, hieroglyphics, Egyptian, you know, artifacts, everything. Not one of them could figure out that that was a pyramid, the final symbol. Not a single one of them figured out that symbol until this fucking clown came in and drew on a monitor with a Sharpie. Mm -hmm. They're all like, oh, but of course. Like, come on, dude. Like, who else? Sorry. Oh, I sneezed on the map. Don't worry. It'll wash, it'll wash right off. Oh, you leaving the Stargate. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of Professor Frank action, oh, for theory. sure. <laughs> um, but, but no, yeah, I think once we get to the um, actual, like, uh, Egyptian location, I think there's a lot of weird connotations that are going on there. I think particularly... Doesn't this feel weird, like a movie inspired by the kind of like the Afghani rebellion against Soviets? Yes, absolutely. Very weirdly inspired in a way that's just like, oh, okay, this ages perfectly. <laughs> it's almost like a pro-colonialism movie <laughs> where they just bring guns and shit to all these people and they're like, yeah, we succeeded in destroying these aliens. <laughs> and then you got James Spanner. Uh, quick, hand me the machined gun. Gah. <laughs> this is so fucking stupid. And the, the, the chocolate bunny way. <laughs> Look, I, again, I'm shitting on this movie, but it's not that bad. No, I would equate it very much to a movie we've talked about in passing a lot, Independence Day, in terms yes. of, like, there's just enough stuff to make it watchable, but at the same time, it doesn't quite work overall as a film. In, in terms of most things, the effects being over the time, a little bit overblown in terms of budget, actors feeling out of place in the roles they're cast in, a little bit of shifts in tone out of nowhere. It's very much Independence Day. Which is still more epic echelon for emmerich who i think also has sort of this equality that we like talking about which is like foreign person who comes to america and makes what they perceive to be the ultimate american movie yeah but i'd I'd argue that him and paul verhoeven did it the best where people are like absolutely we want to see stuff blowed up or at least the the most successful example yeah like literally financially i think there's a lot of elements that i think really do work i think particularly the, the biggest asset this movie has is david arnold's score yeah works so well for this movie it's very rousing and adventurous there's especially the point james spader's being dragged by that weird like mastodon creature mm-hmm. and shit and it's like like big rousing adventurous over the top score
which I realized I instantly heard it, and I was like, this sounds so familiar. That particular score has been used in, like, so many trailers for, like, big adventure movies yep. in the last, like, 20 or so years since. I think I remember it, like, the Polar Express trailer. I remember that as a kid, and I'm like, oh my god, this looks so exciting. And then I watch it, it's like, oh, it's like zombie Tom Hanks and <laughs> other weird people. This is really weird, creepy. Well, let's hope that doesn't come to fruition. Yes, uh, Tom we and Rita, we hope you're doing yes, well. Yes, please. You're, you're big listeners to the show, obviously. Yeah, no, we know. Every we episode, know. We, we know for sure. <laughs> anyway, back to David Arnold's score. I, I love it so much. I think it's also a big asset to Independence Day. And what's so interesting is this is David Arnold's first score in anything, and he was literally like, he quit his job at like a British record shop to like do the score for this movie. Fucking good call on his part. Way to take a leap of faith and have it pay off. Apparently, Roland was like, and um, Dean Devlin, who's his big partner, were like, I don't know if like we're getting giving a chance on this kid. I don't know if it'll work. And then they like sat in for the first scoring session. Like, oh no, this is amazing. This works perfectly. Um, and he's gone on to score like Independence Day, as I mentioned, um, and also several of the Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig Bonds. Especially his score for Casino Royale is supremely underrated. I think. Oh, it's, it's so such good. a good fucking score. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great score. Obviously, you said this the first time you saw the film, so you never dove in any of the TV or anything like that. No, I never did. Yeah, me neither. I only really knew it for, like, when I was watching Sci-Fi Channel for whatever stupid B-movie they were showing at, like, 2 o'clock on a Saturday. Mm. They would have, like, Stargate, SG-1, coming uh, on Friday, next week, whatever. I would be like, okay, whatever. Uh, Let me get back to Leprechaun 3. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. All I remember is, wait a second, fucking MacGyver is Kurt Russell? No, I never watched, I don't think, a single fucking episode. I know there was Stargate, there was Stargate, well, Stargate SG-1, there was Stargate Atlantis. Yes. And I, for, I think there's a third. Stargate that, Universe was the third one. And, and there was also an animated series. And like I said, there's it's resulted in so much stuff, which I really get because there's so much potential this idea of, like, for those of you who might not know for some reason, it's the whole movie circles around, like, them discovering, like, this ancient portal that can transport people through time and space and dimensions and all that other stuff and it's such a cool idea and even like the the actual sequence where they start up the stargate and all the soldiers starting to walk in they're kind of nervous and tense about going in and even when like james spader kind of plays with it before he jumps right in so like ominous and majestic and all that it works perfectly no i agree there's bits of shine throughout this whole turd like you said it does open up the possibility of some really really cool ideas just you know, unfortunately, this is really kind of a paint-by-numbers action movie. It never took off in the way that they probably hoped it would for sequels and everything. No, and so a bunch of other people took it and made it into an episodic television show, which I've heard very good things about. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the, the versions of these two characters are a lot better, because I guess we should focus a bit more on Kurt Russell before we maybe go into final thoughts here. Sure, sure. What do you think is missing, particularly from this Kurt Russell role that you love in so many of his other movies? A real sense of vulnerability. Like I said, they force this tragic backstory upon him. You never feel like he's even committed to the idea that's happening. You never feel like the outcome that happens or the relationships that he forms because of this tragic backstory actually really mean anything or have any weight to him. They just want him, like you said, to be the paint-by-numbers action hero. And that's not really Kurt Russell. The reason it works is him as Snake Plissken because the movie's so out of fucking control and weird. Escape from New York. It's so just a nutty sort of concept that it works. This, they want him to be this patriotic soldier who's, you know, a family man who's suffered a horrible tragedy. But they want him so grounded in reality compared to the insane circumstances that are going on around him. Kurt Russell needs levity. 
he needs something more to chew on. Giving Kurt Russell just a baseline character with no bones to it, just it, it doesn't work. And I, I mean, this isn't the first instance to me that that hasn't worked, but it's definitely one of the biggest. There's not a lot of humanity in there. Despite how much they want to express that with, like, the whole kid. Never lands. It no, never lands. Never lands. Even with, like, as you mentioned, the other, like, surrogate son he ends up getting. Uh-huh. The other. But to go back to what I said earlier, his 90s is so weird. His 80s ending with the massive, huge production snafus of Tango and Cash, followed mm-hmm. by the weird surprise success of Backdraft in 1991, kind of breaks him in a weird yeah. way. Because yeah. after that, you get Unlawful Entry, Captain Ron... Tombstone, which is very good, but wasn't necessarily appreciated as much at the time. I remember Tombstone being a big deal because of Val Kilmer mostly, but I remember Tombstone being a big deal. You were an, you were a fucking itch in your daddy's pants when Tombstone came out. <laughs> hey, I was alive for a bit. And then uh, you got Stargate, like I mentioned, his weird cameo in Forrest Gump as Elvis, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Um, Executive Decision, Escape from L.A., which we've talked about previously. Uh, Breakdown and Soldier. I like Soldier. Uh, but that one definitely flopped. That one was not. Oh, that was a very huge successful. Flop. Yeah, yeah, that oh. one. Yeah, <laughs> not not very successful whatsoever. I, it feels like such a downturn from like in the eighties, where admittingly, like it always felt like to me, and maybe you can say this better. Um, his movies where they kind of allowed him to like shine didn't do nearly as well as much as movies where he added great support to other people who were bigger stars. Like I would argue that's a, very much the case with an Overboard. Because, like, Goldie Hawn is much more the star, and that yeah, was a very no, successful Overboard movie. Overboard is Goldie Hawn's movie. Backdraft is a straight ensemble movie. It's not even yes. really him. It's the Baldwin brother. Uh, no, I agree. The thing is, the, the movies he takes on to be the leading star in are kind of weird movies. Yeah. Like, he enjoys doing weird sort of off-the-wall sort of ideas. But we'll but yeah, talk about that in our next feature for sure. Yeah, for fucking... He, he is a good support actor. Uh he is the grounding in a lot of those movies where everyone else is off doing crazy shenanigans and whatever else. But he's always kind of like the fixed point of the movie in a way where all the main characters eventually have to go back to his character. I I don't know that I ever really think of Kurt Russell as a leading man, especially not anymore. Uh, I think he's a character actor who had this benefit of being good looking. Most of his like sort of successful star vehicles were the fucking Disney movies, right? Exactly. Which is so weird. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, time we kind of segued out of Stargate then, real quick. So, Adam, your final thoughts on Stargate? Like I said, it's fun. It's totally Independence Day and and almost in tone and everything else. It's not the worst movie. It's probably not even Kurt Russell's worst movie, uh, but. If you're a fan of the television show, just be a fan of the television show if you've never seen this. I don't know that this would add anything to your enjoyment. Well, I would probably argue, if you're especially a big fan of the television show, I would say this would probably maybe give you more appreciation for the television show. Because you can see the seeds of what would like later come to pass with the TV show, and how they were kind of awkwardly planted initially here. Um, which is still to say, like, I think this is a watchable movie. I think it's enjoyable for a lot of sort of like the bigger spectacle, sort of wondrous awe moments that come a lot from like the set design or the um, scoping cinematography. Lots of great desert shots in this movie. Also, weirdly realized we're covering two movies that involve Kurt Russell walking through a lot of desert. Um, and then, like I said, David Arnold's score in particular, I think, really works for the movie. But I think the biggest principal problems with it are really how they miscast the leads. And I think definitely makes it very appropriate as a bad choice for Kurt Russell movie because it's uh, not one of his better moments as an actor but still i could see how this could turn into a big media franchise that would come only about three years after the movie came out sprout to better things but 
that's the end of that particular feature, and we're going to talk about our next feature soon. But first, why don't you listen to this ad for an ESO so you can queue up right after our show. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. The better that these Marvel films do, the higher the standards are going to be for not just other films in general, but other Marvel films also. I think it's really hard to end a show with this many fans in a satisfying way. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week and right here on the ESO Network. And now let's get into our next feature, Bone Tomahawk. Good evening. There's a uh, situation. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding long and sleeping the bare minimum. If our horses die before we get there, when we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, we won't rescue anybody. So Bone Tomahawk came out October 23rd, 2015, uh, and is a film directed, written, and partially scored by S. Craig Zoller. Um, this was his film debut, which I gotta say, amazing debut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, way to hit it out of the fucking park right off the bat. Right out the gate, yes. And uh, he's a guy who also previously wrote novels prior to being a filmmaker. Um, you can kind of tell with this movie, it kind of has sort of like a writerly touch to it, um, especially with, like, kind of the dialogue back and forth. And if you aren't familiar with this movie, uh, basically, it is a Western um, that takes place 1890, and it's about uh, Kurt Russell, amongst several other uh, men, who are uh, tasked to go on a mission to save a woman who has been kidnapped by what they think are just normal Native Americans. Uh, but as it turns out, um, it ends up being uh, these sort of weird, mutated creatures uh, that kind of take on the appearance of these, uh, of indigenous folks, as it were. Um, and his, uh, posse include Patrick Wilson, who is the husband of the woman who's been kidnapped, uh, but he is, currently has a bum leg at the moment. Um, and Richard Jenkins, who is Kurt Russell's, uh, minor deputy, who is not necessarily well-equipped for the job. And, uh, Matthew Fox as, uh, the very mysterious badass. Like a dandy, almost. Right, almost like a dandy, but also has, like, a, a, a very big confidence about himself that just totally mm-hmm. flattens everybody. There's a great scene with him and Richard Jenkins mm-hmm. going back and forth that just perfectly establishes all this. And Adam, this was your pick as a good pick, so uh, why don't you talk a bit about like why you think this is a pretty good showcase in particular for Mr. Russell? Hey, I, I definitely picked this because this was one of the best, uh, not only genre movies, but movies of the year that it came out. I, I absolutely fell in love with it when I first saw it. And, and to be honest, I've only seen it once until I rewatched it for this show. Uh, but I remember just loving Kurt Russell. And he's playing this no-bones-bottom sheriff. You know, he's constantly telling me, I'll shoot you on sight, you know, blah, blah. But he's really kind of vulnerable. He really cares about, like, Richard Jenkins' character. He's real protective of him. He he's really loves his wife. He wants to help the people in his town so much. And uh, it's just, it's a really good sort of, post tombstone western showcase for kurt russell who is a really good western actor yeah this is him for in full on uh hateful eight facial hair regalia, mm-hmm. which he was this was like the same year and 2015 was sort of like a big comeback year for kurt russell given um after um doing a couple movies like as we mentioned the 90s were kind of a weird period and then the 2000s were also very weird mm-hmm. where you had like 3000 miles to graceland vanilla sky miracle um, and Sky High, which is fun. Um, and then, like, I think the two that kind of, like, 
put him down for a bit were like the one two punch of Poseidon and Deathproof. Kind yeah, of just like not doing that well. Mame Disappear only appeared in like very small, limited release kind of movies. And then 2015 was such a banger year for those two movies we mentioned. Also, he pops up in the Fast and Furious franchise in Furious 7. Yep. 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 And then what was it, the very next year or the year after? Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy and more of those uh, Fast and Furious movies, and he's kind of mm-hmm. had a bit of a comeback for himself in the last couple of years, as kind of what you mentioned, what he was always sort of destined to be. Now that he's a bit older as a character actor. Yes, abs- absolutely, absolutely. But uh, to touch just on the character actor thing, because I want to get out of the way right now, uh, fucking Richard Jenkins is almost unrecognizable in this movie. He absolutely disappears into that part. He He almost steals the movie for me. I don't know if I would necessarily say he disappears as the role. I, I think I really agree. I think their relationship, the one between him and Kurt Russell, is so phenomenal. Where Kurt Russell, obviously, as you mentioned, perfect sort of like Western older badass doesn't give two fucks about much, except for his wife and also Richard Jenkins, who almost feels like a second wife, which I love. Yeah, like the he's whole... this old widower who's kind of, you could tell, slipping maybe a little bit, like intellectually. And... And, and definitely, like, he was like the last person to fit in the slot of, like, mm-hmm. deputy sheriff sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, and you feel like Kurt Russell lets him do it just so he has something to do. Yeah, yeah, and there's, like, a lot of history with those characters. They have a lot of great back and forth, like, their introduction scene where it's like, oh, man, I, I don't know if you should be making coffee right now. It's soup. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, oh can, can I have some? I haven't eaten all day. <laughs> you know, it's so good. I'm going to go ahead and take away what I already said. Uh, Matthew Fox. I, I've never been a huge fan of his. I wasn't a big Lost guy. Right. And the other movies he's popped up in are like, oh, okay. It's this fucking dandy who can back up everything he says and is a cold-blooded badass. Dude, I instantly am like, fucking Matthew Fox. He really disappears into this role and it's definitely like, oh my, this was, it was so weird. This was such a cool spotlight for him. Like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what he does next. He has done literally nothing since this movie. This is like the last thing he's been in and there's been no like reports about any upcoming things or anything that failed or anything. Which is wild because he's so good. He shows off quite a bit of range in this. Yes, I completely agree. Maybe he's almost just like, well, I can't beat this. (laughs) I'm going to go into seclusion. If you're going to go out, it's a pretty good performance to go out on. Too bad it's not, you know, as known as most of the other things he's done, but it's a hell of a performance. And there's also a lot of interesting people that show up in this movie. This is a great character actor showcase, the people that show up. Like, right at the beginning, you're like, oh, who's this, like, murderous duo that's, like, uh, stealing stuff from people? Sid Haig and David Arquette. Okay, mm-hmm. we're going to go with that, sure. It's a very compelling scene right off the start, and uh, it kind of introduces also the big sort of asset besides the character actors in this movie, which is uh, the horribly gory violence. Dude, this movie, like all of his other movies, though, like yes. that's the thing about Zoller. Zoller just will show you just awful, repugnant violence. And the last 30 minutes of this movie is some of the most hardcore, disturbing violence I've ever seen. It becomes very almost like a cannibal movie from the 70s or 80s, uh, Mm -hmm. which is so weird because most of the movie feels like a classical Western. Sure. And in a way, it's almost like this is a John Ford movie, but like Dario Argento took over in the third act. It's this weird blend of genres that also just really works despite how kind of jarring that is once the violence actually kind of comes by. I think it also works that you have a lot of the sort of the moments that are kind of gory in between that are more like naturalistic in a really disturbing way still. Like when Patrick Wilson is on his leg and it progressively is getting worse Ugh. and worse. And it's just like, ooh, this is realistic, like awful near gangrene shit. <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. 
And they were like, oh, we're going to have to amputate. And just his reaction is just, oh, good Lord. But then it turns into like almost like a supernatural monster movie. Yeah. Where they've implanted things in their own necks to do these certain howls and screams that the other ones can hear. Right. Like it's, it's really fucking crazy. And man, the flask. Jesus Christ. I mean, we haven't talked about like the big moments through the moment that I, whenever I heard about this movie back in 2015, every like horror fan was like, dude, the scene where somebody gets split in half, like a wishbone. Oh Um, boy. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the most disturbing things also done very much. Like it's very quick, but it does uh-huh. linger on like sort of the after effects. And that's what I think I like about the violence here is that the actual action is quick, but it does let you kind of splurge a bit on the actual sort of like aftermath of like just to really settle like, yeah, that happened. That just fucking happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then they even throw in the, you know, Richard Jenkins like, is that true? Is the Calvary coming? He's like, no, I just told him that. Well, why'd you tell him that? That's what I would want to hear in his position. You're like, oh, oh. Yeah. So they, now they have to deal with it. Now seeing his first deputy wishboned oh a lot of credit to richard jenkins for being the ultimate audience surrogate in that scene uh-huh. of just like oh god <laughs> oh no <laughs> meanwhile kurt russell's trying to be like said fast even though he looks like oh that's so sad meanwhile richard jenkins is everyone just like oh god what the fuck's happening oh um, it's fucking gnarly it's, it's gnarly very gnarly yes for sure. And I think it's a great way of sort of appeasing both the fan of, um, you know, John Ford era Western and also the horror fan. It works so perfectly as both. Uh-huh. Though I would not quite recommend this to my Western-loving grandfather, necessarily. No. Wouldn't be one no. for Grandpa. No, it's like, <laughs> no. Oh, no, this isn't a John Wayne movie, Grandpa. Right, right. Like, he's in Gunsmoke. You're not going to have him watch Bone Town Hawk. Um, <laughs> Which, by the interesting fact, served, like, to really crystallize all that. Um, the actual town of Bright Hope is shot over in the, the Paramount uh, Western Village, which recently burned down, unfortunately, but that was a place where so many Westerns were shot, including Western TV shows like Gunsmoke, and um, a certain young actor was uh, had a couple guest spots on there, uh, a young Kurt Russell on Gunsmoke, so it all comes full circle. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, with all that being said, Jesus Christ, <laughs> with the violence, it's so in your face and so brutal and all everybody that it happens to or who witnesses it you see it on their face and they're feeling it and there and it's uncomfortable and then it's disturbing like with the amputeed pregnant women yeah like with the with the fucking like uh sticks in their eyes to blind them it's fucking disturbing and gross I mean, I would agree with all of that, but at the same time, um, before watching this, I actually, uh, for the first time, watched something that's been on my watch list for a bit, Brawl and Saw Black 99. Oh. And if you, like, watch this movie, it's like, oh man, this is really in-your-face violent. Um, that movie's more consistent with it, in a way that I think makes yeah. it a, an interesting movie to watch. I like that movie, but also I would say a slightly lesser movie. I think he indulges in that a bit too much to a certain no, degree. I, yeah, I agree. one. Yeah, and they definitely go down the the disturbing route a little bit more in that one too. Yeah, uh, just j, j, I, without getting into it, but just what Udo Kier tells him that the doctor will do. You're like, that's oh, the most God. fucked up shit I've ever heard in my life. Yes, uh, but if you can <laughs> if you can stand the violence, it's worth it, especially for definitely the best Vince Vaughn performance. Without question, he's so question. phenomenal, and also is a mountain of a man in a way I didn't expect. No, <laughs> so dude. fucking big. Don Johnson also, but anyways, um. No, Bone Tomahawk, it's a, the cinematography as well, gorgeous. 
This movie is beautiful. So many Look, great shots of them riding oh, along yeah. the desert. Yeah, so good. The the score is really good. It's a it's not an atypical western score, but it fits perfectly within the western genre. Acting all around, there there's really not a bad link. Like if you had to pick the worst out of the four, it's got to be Patrick Wilson, and Patrick Wilson is acting his fucking ass off. He's very good. I think what I like about this movie in particular is how sort of the ending and where we get to um, ends up with like the people who we thought were like oh they're the badass types that are totally gonna get out of this have all died horribly. And only like some of the quote unquote weaker people in their eyes yeah. are surviving. Yeah, the cripple and the old man who's slipping. Yes, I I really like that aspect of the movie because it's almost just like it almost feels like they're being kind of carried along by the movie, but they both kind of end up coming into their own. And to, to showcase, especially Kurt Russell, um, his Ooh. all of the final stuff after he's been horribly wounded and oh. he makes his last stand. It's so good, and his also farewell to Richard Jenkins is like perfect. Oh, absolutely. He's all teary-eyed. You know, he, he's he's worried about what's going to happen to them at the same time. And, 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 oh, God. What they do to him, it's so matter-of-factly done. Yes. Like, it, it, there's no build-up. There's no, like, torturous part about it. They just do it. That's what makes it so much more, like, visceral and disturbing and painful-looking. And, I mean, it just... It, this is one of those movies to where... It will stick with you. Yes. If the violence in this movie doesn't stick with you, then I, 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 I you need to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> like, like for real. This and in in Cell Block Ninety Nine, same thing. Now, I haven't seen Drag to Cost Concrete uh, for reasons. What are you talking about? Vince Vaughn's in that one. Who could? What other thing in that <laughs> movie could be a problem for you? Right. Uh, I've heard it's very good. I just I don't care, especially after I saw the uh, you know. The Puppet Master movie he wrote. Like, I'm good. Like, I, I don't... Eh. It's fair, because especially that movie's about, like, sort of dirty cops and kind of puts them in, like, a center stage aspect, which I'll admit, mm-hmm. this movie has, like, sort of the less of the, some of those, like, problematic themes, except, obviously, for the fact that it's, like, our, we're mainly following a bunch of white dudes as they go and attack these guys who are ostensibly Native Americans, even though they kind of try and skirt around it. They, well, but they try their troglodytes or whatever. But the, the, But the thing is, though... For the time that this movie takes place, that's what was going on. Right, in terms of like actually like trying to like hunt down these people particularly and they, they and they, they try and skirt around it, but also even also just coming out in twenty fifteen, it feels like do we necessarily need that? Who knows? But, but the but, thing is, do do they skirt around it? Because Matthew Fox, his character makes no bones about how many Indians he's killed. He's killed women, mm-hmm. he's killed anything. Like it's right there. Like this is right. what these people did at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but they also, at the same time, when Matthew Fox is telling you know how many how many he's killed and everything, every other character is like you motherfucker. The fact of the matter is they kidnapped two people, three technically if you count David Arquette out no, of the town. That's like I give them credit for like it's not as necessarily malicious as it potentially could be. I just <laughs> still think at the same time that like any of these more prominent Native American characters are just like monster men who like well, kidnap women and kill people. It's it's I'm not saying it's like a, a huge matter of fact mm-hmm. problem, but it's just something there. It's something that I think that is kind of present in the movie. That's all. No, it is. I, I don't disagree with you, but they said that was their way of getting around it, but then even to the point where they had the actual Native American uh come in and say, Yeah, no, these are not Native Americans. These are inbred fucking pieces of shit creatures 
That's the thing. He, he tries, which makes it at least, like, not nearly as malicious as it could be. That's all I'm saying. But anyway. Which, God, which goddammit, I love that actor, too. Sam McLaren. Yeah. Which, to go back to the character actor stuff, uh, among some of the other people here, I love Fred Melamend, who shows up as the bartender guy. Who's, fucking Sean Young? Sean Young shows up right briefly as the wife of the mayor, yes. Uh, Michael Pere <laughs> briefly shows yes, up as well. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> he sounds exactly like Kosas Mandalore when he talks. Especially now, yeah. That's that's that's, mm-hmm. that's in the case. It's like, oh wow, it's been a while since Streets of Fire, hasn't it, man? Oh boy. <laughs> no no Uwe Bowl movies this month, huh? <laughs> no, that's the thing. I think what I like about this movie too is it takes a lot of people who are like Kurt Russell at this point in his career and also several of the other actors here are definitely people where like they hadn't had like the best careers at a certain point. This is almost like sort of a, a weird sort of rescue point for them. I think that's something that S. Craig Zoller does with a lot of people in his movies. Like even you, you mentioned um, with uh, Cellblock 99, such a reinvention for like Vince Vaughn. And also mm-hmm. that's probably the start of the Don Johnson Azance we've had over the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I, what I want to ask you, so is this the second time you viewed it as well? Or have you seen it a couple times? No, this is the second time, yeah, because it's definitely one of those where it's a bit longer. He tends to make longer movies. Like, I was trying to watch mm-hmm. Drag Across Concrete, but that's like two and a half hours long. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> fuck that. I, I, I'm good uh, on that. Not necessarily fuck that, but like, I just don't have enough time. But I really gleamed, especially from this time, was just watching, especially just like all the great character interactions that happen while they're like on the journey. This movie is very long, but at the same time, it doesn't feel that way whatsoever because you just really like spending time with these characters. Like, my favorite interaction so much is the bit where Richard Jenkins is talking about trying to read in the bathtub. <laughs> and he keeps destroying books and all this other bullshit. And he just keeps going on about it, and Kurt Russell's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, get a stand. Just to put it off what? to the side of the bathtub. <laughs> it's what? like, oh, I'm when I get back, I'm gonna get one of those stands. It's it's such a perfect, like, little interaction beat that, like, really works to, like, really endear you to these guys as they, like, go across this, like, rough terrain and eventually meet most of them horribly gruesome ends. It's so funny, too, that they set up Matthew Fox to have this sort of maybe triumphant last stand. Nah, it doesn't really happen. No, he and he also gets, I would argue, the worst of anybody in terms of, like, progressive mutilation. Because it's not like everyone else gets it, like, at the very end. He gets, like, stabbed and nearly shot and all this other shit throughout and the whole movie. And he gets his hand cut off. Yeah, I, that's I, I did, true. No, I, did, I forgot that his hand got cut off and I noticed it in the shot where it's, like, Kurt Russell's tying him up. And you see, like, it with a bit of shirt sleeve in front of it. Yeah, he he, he runs the gamut. I guess you could say. And, and that fucking scene where they get ambushed and he has to put down his horse is oh, so incredible. It's, it's, it's like, sad. Like, you Very feel sad. that. Like, oh, that's poor fucking guy. Right, and this is also one of those movies where it's a bit more inspired in the wake of, like, a Red Dead Redemption as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel like you're playing, like, a, a more horror-tinged version of Red Dead Redemption. Not the zombie version of Red Dead Redemption, but a slightly more horror-tinged version. Like, it feels like you're playing one of those weird supernatural missions in Red Dead Redemption. Like, with the weird devil dude. That yeah, the man in black. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it kind of feels like that throughout this whole movie. No, I definitely, definitely agree. Uh, like I said, this is only my second time watching. I As much as I do love the movie, this is not one that I'm apt to revisit that often. Because uh, it's fucking disturbingly violent. It's very brutal. It, yeah. it's, it's it's very much, it's not a fun sit necessarily. But no. it's why I wouldn't mind going back to sort of in the way, of like I watched it in 2015, watching it now in 2020. Like it's good for every five years. Just like, let's revisit Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, right. 
so I guess before we go into final thoughts, I guess the main thing is sort of, um, what do you think other sort of modern roles from Kurt Russell can take lessons from with this particular movie? What do you want to see more from here that can segue into other roles that he could potentially have in the future? Give him a vulnerability. And I think he does the best with vulnerability that's below the surface, but it's there. You can see it. It's not his main character arc. It's not the main point of his character, but he's always there. He's an everyman. He's learned and he's rugged and he's tough and he's been there and he's seen things and he's done things. But he's still a person. He's still a man. He still cares about people. He still loves people. He still has you know, a sense of duty, a sense of purpose. It's not one-dimensional. It's not even two-dimensional. There's layers to his character that are all brimming underneath what we know Kurt Russell can do, be the reliable cowboy, the reliable tough guy, the reliable, you know, like I said, fixed point. But he has a certain sort of personal character arc, personal journey that even if you don't see it on screen, you know he's going through in his character. That's something that from a brawl in Block 99 is something that I think is doesn't quite ring as true with that particular film um, as much as they kind of tried to have that with Vince Vaughn. Um, and his relationship with the Jennifer Carpenter character. I don't think that vulnerability quite works nearly as well as it does here, with not just Kurt Russell, but everybody in this cast, I think. Despite this being like, oh, it's a man's man kind of genre of the Western that segues into the horror movie that's so brutal, there is a real sort of emotional human tether that sinks you to all these characters. Like, even as much as, like, a Patrick Wilson is kind of, like, trailing along, you're kind of also with him at the same time in that way of, like, you know, if I was in the situation, I'd probably be the same, where it's like, yeah, let me catch up, just drop some stones. Oh, yeah, you feel terrible <laughs> for him. So bad, yeah, because just, and he really sells that pain in the same way that Kurt Russell sells that kind of underlying sadness that you're mentioning, or Richard Jenkins' complete unpreparedness, or Matthew Fox even seemingly hiding a lot of pain in his own place, but just being... And guilt. Well, well, and, okay, yeah. Right, and guilt, and amongst a lot of other things. Also, just one quick person I did forgot to mention amongst the character actors, um, fucking James Tolkien is the pianist. Yeah, Our man from Back to the Future. <laughs> so fucking crazy. It's the principal from Back to the Future. It's fucking what's-his-name from Masters of the Universe. How wild. Three songs for a dime. Last one costs extra. I get tired. <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think we should segue into our final thoughts. So, Adam, your overall final thoughts. I think it's an absolutely fantastic movie. It's fantastic looking, acted, scored. The violence in it, you feel it. It's there for a purpose. It's there to make you cringe. It's there to make you be like, oh, my God. I mean, these characters you spend the better part of two hours with, you know, a couple of them are just brutally eviscerated in front of you. And it, you're supposed to have a guttural reaction to it and, it, and it succeeds on all those levels without feeling cheap or expletive. It's just a almost a perfectly crafted uh, genre mashup. I've seen a lot of horror westerns and things like that, and I'd argue that this might be the best of the horror western sort of genre. If not the best, it's in the top three, easily. Uh, it's a great later-day later uh, Kurt Russell performance. It's a great uh, showcase for a lot of character actors who necessarily don't get to play these type of parts or never have played these parts before. Or just to kind of show their chops in a very small, low-budget, character-driven piece. 
I just I think it's an absolutely fantastic movie. It might have been my favorite of 2015. If not, it was definitely in. It would have been in my top ten. Yeah, I do very much agree. I think it was a great sort of way to bring back Kurt Russell into the fold, especially genre films, and have him truly embrace sort of his character actoriness. Um, also, the mutton chops always great to embrace those, especially Kurt Russell. Um, it's it's a very cool meld of the horror and western genre in a way that has been attempted before, but I don't think never as successfully as it quite is here. Um, I, I really dig all of the, the performers here, and I think S. Craig Zoller really hits himself quite out the gate uh, in terms of filmmaking, that I, from what I've heard, he at least kind of somewhat continues here, but I don't know if it like is nearly as successful quite as much as it is here. It feels so much like, oh, this is a clear vision right out the gate from just a young, hungry filmmaker um, that has a lot of unique, weird touches that make it really stick out. If you you know can stand the violence, if you can stand a bit of like horrific, awful gore that feels very realistic and is very sudden, uh, I think you can definitely embrace the weird magic of Bone Tama. So uh, that's the end of our discussion of our two features, uh, but we got some feedback to read, because uh, for those of you who might be new, every Monday at DEDBpod, which is our Twitter and Facebook handle, we ask you out there, hey, what are your favorite or least favorite films related to whatever topic that we're picking? And so we asked you all about Kurt Russell, and we got some feedback to read here. Uh, first off, uh, James Rodriguez says, uh, The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China are my favorites of his collaborations with John Carpenter. I have a lot of love for Bone Tomahawk and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and even a soft spot for Sky High and Tombstone, and I even liked uh, Deepwater Horizon a bit. Um, also, uh, he was apparently in Forrest Gump, continuing to play Elvis, uh, but anyway, I'm not a huge fan of that film. Uh, Rave Telsch says, as a youngin, I grew up with his Disney fare, like the computer that wore tennis shoes, but I really came to love him in his action phase, The Thing, Escape from New York, and of course, Big Trouble in Little China. I've really enjoyed seeing him make a return with things like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and believe it or not, The Christmas Chronicles. Uh, his more disappointing entries include stuff like Escape from L.A., Sky High, and Death Proof, but even those aren't that bad. 101 pictures on his filmography, and most of them are fantastic. And then uh, Kara Holden said, uh, this is a really damn hard one to think of, uh, because even movies of his that may be bad, um, his performance is always good. Both escape movies, yeah, fuck you, LA is fucking fun, uh, Sky High, Guardians 2, and Big Trouble. I guess if I had to pick some bad movies, I would say Death Proof, Vanilla Sky, Hateful Eight, but of those, the only one I would say I outright disliked is Vanilla Sky. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of uh, recurring trends in there. Um, I, I will say that Vanilla Sky is an interesting one, where um, I, w I went through like Cameron Crowe's filmography last year. I don't necessarily hate that movie as much as his reputation kind of put it out to be, but that is also such a weird fucking movie <laughs> that I can't believe Tom Cruise made at that point. I absolutely love Vanilla Sky. Uh, there was a long time where if you'd asked me if I, my favorite movie of Vanilla Sky would have been, if not my first answer, it would have been my top three. Interesting. I would not have well, expected that. Yeah, I absolutely love that movie. Uh, I love the the Spanish language version of it that it's based off of, and I, I absolutely love the remake as well. Uh, I, I understand why people might have problems with it, because it is a fucking bizarre kind of out there movie. But I, I really, really do enjoy it. I think it's... Uh, one of the better heady sci-fi movies uh, in a long time. I'm very curious to see the Spanish language one. I have not seen that. It's fucking really good, man. Would you say you prefer that to Vanilla Sky? Um, no. No. Okay. Well, the only reason I say this is because Vanilla Sky is way better to look at, too. 
Okay. That makes sense. Well, it's a much more high budget movie, I assume, based on what I heard. About yeah, it's basically the same movie, but but higher budget, uh, like massive. Yeah, budget. that movie's also so weird. Like fucking Steven Spielberg has a random cameo at a party, <laughs> which I is know. Tom Cruise's it's friend. A wild shit. fucking movie, dude. It's so weird. Best um, Cameron Diaz, by the way. Best Cameron Diaz performance. She's very good in it. I think that that's mm-hmm. uh, one of the bigger strengths of the movie for sure. That's one we should definitely talk about at some point. Because <laughs> that'd be very well, interesting. We're gonna have I'm, I'm sure, yes, yes. Um, but, you know, I've, I've made my case many times here about uh, really loving Guardians 2. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say in particular, I think Kurt Russell really works in that movie because of the thematics of that movie being so much about, like, people raised by or abandoned by shitty dads mm-hmm. and sort of the weird levels of it. And I think Kurt Russell really works in that one because he's kind of playing in a laid-back sort of way that feels perfect for, like, a weekend dad who's just mm-hmm. coming back, like, oh, hey, I abandoned you, what's up, I got a palatial planted state, why don't you come right, over right, right. and have some fun, and then gets more and more sinister from there. I, I really dig all that stuff, especially with uh, him as Ego. I don't want to get him to hear, baby, because in case we might do that. After I have seen that movie a couple times, I appreciate it more than I did when I first saw it. I did not like the movie when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Well, th- did not like might be a strong word, but I didn't think it was that good. Like, I liked it enough. It's not the – I didn't think it was the worst of the Marvel movies, but it was – meh. Meh. But, I, I mean, seeing it again, there's a lot of cool set pieces in it and everything, but I, I still do have problems with that movie. Uh, it's not my favorite Kurt Russell performance either. Um, you know what? Sky High got sort of a mixed reception. I dig Sky High. I think that's quite fun. I like I, Sky High. And yeah, I didn't Sky see it as a kid either. I only saw it like a couple of years ago, but it's very cute. Well, I saw it when it came out, so I was in my teens, easy. And uh, I, I thought it was fun. I mean, it's not great. It's cheesy. It's cheap. It's silly all over the place. The special effects are garbage. Uh, a lot of hammy acting, but it's fun for what it is. Kurt Russell's really fun in it. Oh my god, especially just like him as like the dad who really just wants to go back at heroing. <laughs> yeah. So fun. Dude, he's, he's... He, I, I like Sky High. I really do. And I, even Death Proof. We've talked about it on here. I uh, Say what you will about Death Proof. I think Kurt Russell is fucking phenomenal in Death Proof. No, I, I do very much agree with that. Um, it, as we talked about in our Quentin Tarantino episode. Well, are there any sort of uh, underrated Kurt Russell performances that maybe weren't mentioned here you want to shout out? Well, I love him as Todd and Soldier. Okay. He's fucking fantastic in that movie. I like that movie, period. Talk about another weird sort of corny movie. Uh, but he's really, really good as this aging soldier who sort of accepted his place. Uh, you know, things like, I really, really do enjoy that one. Um, I will say biggest shout out possible. Um, to one that I discovered only a few years ago when I was also going through another filmmaker's filmography, um, Robert Zemeckis' Used Cars. He is so oh fucking God, funny. Oh, God, he's so cars. good in that. Very underrated movie. <laughs> yeah, Used Cars is a very underrated movie. And it, it, we addressed it earlier on the show. I absolutely love him as Captain Ron. I have not seen that since I was a child, so I don't know if I could quite judge, necessarily. He's so funny in it. And I, well, I'm a huge Martin Short fan, too. But it, it's definitely not Martin Short as the comedic relief in it, which is saying a lot. It's definitely Kurt Russell as the comedy piece, and he's fantastic in it. Yeah, also, we kind of mentioned before, but fucking Miracle is, like, one of the few, like, sports movies of the last, I'd say, like, 10 to 15 years that still, like, actually, like, really rouses you in a way that few sports movies have recently. Yeah, that's a good one. So, what would you say is maybe the worst Kurt Russell movie? Oh, hold on. You put me on the spot here. Give me a second. I will say, right, I think I have a clear answer. And one of, I think, the worst big-budget movies of, like, especially this new millennium, Poseidon, is terrible. Uh, it's just a vapid. 
cookie cutter paint by numbers remake. Yeah, of a of a movie that's still honestly like despite like a lot of those Irwin Allen movies not working, Poseidon Adventure still works pretty well. It's like a that era disaster movie. And you're just missing so much of that in Poseidon. It feels so much more of like, oh, we're going for all the over-the-top special effects stuff, but it doesn't have any of like the actual human emotion mm-hmm. to tether it whatsoever, like we talked about before. And they try to with that movie with his fucking daughter, and he's like, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to save everybody and drown down here. It's just like, oh, God. I mean, no. 3,000 Miles of Graceland's pretty bad. Which was my alternative choice. We almost did. I have not seen it. It's pretty bad. Uh, I was not a fan of Dark Blue. That was pretty rough. Uh, you know, and and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fucking come on. Bit, bit part, bit part. And right. he's fine in it, but... Okay. Can we just stop celebrating anything Tarantino puts his hands into? I, I don't hate that one as much as I did upon when I first watched because I rewatched it right before the Oscars because I was like, oh, is it going to win anything? And it won a few things. Um, but I was not especially a fan of sort of like that section of the movie where it no. mainly evolves around Brad Pitt fighting Bruce Lee, which I thought was a very mishandled conceit. Yes. If anything else, I prefer him more as the Kurt Russell as the narrator later on when he talks about like sort of Leonardo DiCaprio's history in the spaghetti western, like the that weird period. I agree. I think yeah, that actually works pretty well for me. I almost wish he was just the narrator. <laughs> yeah, me too. Movie. And I'm not a big Hateful Eight fan either. Right, right. I think Hateful Eight is just... Just Tarantino, like, look how well I can write dialogue. <laughs> I mean, okay. Like, oh, for fuck's sake. But that is another one where you at least like Kurt Russell's performance in it, arguably, right? Yeah, I'll give it that. I like his performance. I love Tim Roth in the movie, too. He's also getting upstaged that entire movie by Jennifer Jason Lee, who yeah, is she, a standout for me. So, oh my God, she's so fucking good in that movie. She's really fucking great. <laughs> so even then, like as I believe Kara mentioned, like even in his worst movies, his, he is at least consistent as a performer most of the time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there, there might be a couple where I, I think Stargate was, is a big example where he's like just running through the paces, but he's still good at it. We also have a bit of feedback in reference to our last episode from another uh, former guest, Scott Johnson, um, who on Instagram is a beer as smooth as silk. Uh, is talking about our A24 episode last time, saying, uh, Great episode, y'all. Though to Ryan Quarterman, Leon Pete is boring as fuck, though Gloria Bell is indeed fire. Um, yeah, and you know, Adam, you were going to be on last episode, and just uh, certain complications had you uh, missed mm-hmm. at the last minute. Um, what, what did you did you manage to see both uh, Swiss Army Man and Ghost Story? I got through three quarters of Ghost Story and got through all of Swiss Army Man. Okay, and what did you think, especially of Swiss Army Man? I absolutely fell in love with Swiss Army Man. Uh, the fact of the matter is I was almost crying over a farting corpse. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, I think Swiss Army Man is uh, proof in the pudding, if you want to say that way, that Daniel Radcliffe is not just Harry Potter. I think he absolutely steals the movie. As a do-nothing, move-nothing sort of corpse, he's fantastic in it. Absolutely phenomenal. And I'm not usually a big Paul Dano fan either, but I really, really love Paul Dano in that movie. I, I think there's certain scenes where he's putting on recreating the bus for him. And all, I mean, it's just it's it's one of the best buddy movies I've seen in a long time. And you can't say you've seen many like it. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it and I'll never <laughs> see anything like it again. Probably not. No. <laughs> and uh, as far as Ghost Story goes, Ghost Story, uh, to me, 
it's it's really fucking good. I I gotta I gotta finish it before I can make a really uh sort of sound judgment on it because I got a feeling it, it needs to be seen as a complete. So I might hold off on that for a little like bit. Like most films tend to be. Yeah, but most movies. I mean, there's certain movies you can get halfway through, three quarters of the way through, and be like, yeah, this is just a bad movie. Or oh, I see where this is going. I might even see where Ghost Story is going, but I want to see the whole thing. I want to, I want to sort of take in the movie as a whole. Well, uh, thank you all for that feedback. We also want to thank a few other people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, or um, you can email us at doubleedgedoublebill, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Um, and you can find me on my own um, account um, at not the Who's Tommy for all my weird personal musings. And I also do some writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com, where I post reviews and lists and you know essays and stuff. And also trueSuperheroFans.com, where I am an associate editor, and we post a satirical superhero news. And you can find Adam uh, just trying to huddle in his corner, uh, mm-hmm. trying to starve off from uh, you know the coronavirus that's clearly spread by troglodytes. Right, correct. Uh, yes, uh, for more uh, great content like that as you survive in your bunkers of the coronavirus, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms, or of course the ESO Network, where you can also find a lot of great other shows. And, uh, you know, why not dig into the archives of our Podbean Network for all the fun shenanigans we did before we even joined ESO? And if nothing else, you know, rate, review, and share the show around to give it more visibility. Make sure it's heavily sanitized before you do so. Yeah, for God's sakes. Save us all. Wash your podcast links. Not your laptop, you'll probably break it. Do that. Maybe unplug for a little while, man. What does it all mean? But still try to listen to our show. Yes, more importantly, yes, that's the one thing you should stay plugged into, is the Double-Edged Double Bill podcast, especially because, you know, uh, we're going to try and still keep doing episodes here, including uh, next week, you know, um, speaking of character actors a lot. Uh, from this particular show, I mean, we one recently passed that we just had to celebrate. Uh-huh. We we stopped in attention. We were like we were going to do something else, but we realized no, we got to like really stay in attention for a legend, uh, a, a near century year old man in his own right, Max von Sydow recently passed away, and we figured uh-huh. so many movies we could talk about, and we definitely should uh, for this particular next week. I mean. Absolutely. The guy's one of the titans of acting and character acting. He's one of the greatest of all time. I absolutely, absolutely, since I was a child, have loved Max von Sydow. You can literally track the history of cinema from like the 1950s to now in mm-hmm. Max von Sydow's career, literally. Absolutely. So much history yeah. is through his filmography. Um, and we're going to do that with two films uh, coming up. So for those of you who might be new, each week... Uh, we have two good movies, two bad movies. Uh, we switch up on the quality. For this Max Boncito episode, I have two good movies. Adam has two bad movies. And we've each assigned each of our movies a number between 1 and 10. And the other will pick a number. And whichever uh, that number is closest to in terms of the two picks ends up being the one that we talk about for good and bad features. So, Adam, for my two good picks, number between 1 and 10. We'll go 9 for COVID-19. <laughs> okay. Well, at... <laughs> Number 10, I had, you know what, oh, this will be a change of pace for us, because uh, this is a movie I haven't seen, but um, it's it's uh, arguably one of the bigger classics from what I've heard of, um, and uh, it's our first Ingmar Bergman film, The Seventh Seal. Ooh. You, ooh. Never seen that's it. A, that's a fucking good movie. Wow, I'm excited to rewatch that. I haven't seen that in a couple of years. I watch it in like a, 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 a class I took. Oh, God, what a good movie. 
Nice. Nice. What was your what was your other My wife? What was your What was your other choice? Well, at number 3 I had what might argue to be one of the more um top tier choices, but one definitely that you know, I think we both mutually love. Uh at number 3 I had The Exorcist, the OG. I mean, yeah, of course. Good lord. Also the movie that kind of ruined his career in terms of, like, everyone thought he was an old man, even though at that age he was, like, in his 40s. But the makeup was so convincing that he looked like that throughout, like, the last 30 years of his life. All right, dude. You look at a picture of him in his 90s, he looks like Father Marin still. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm fully convinced that we will, at one point, cover The Exorcist on this show. I mean, any of that, you know, that's another one of those horror franchises we haven't covered. That's a weird franchise. Well, I don't think we can cover that. There's only two good ones. Anyways, um, <laughs> so go ahead, man. For, for the bad. Too, for you too bad, I will go um, with, I guess, the other half of the COVID-19. One. Okay. And number two, I have the Sylvester Stallone starring Judge Dredd. Oh. <laughs> Seventh Seal, Judge Dredd. Yeah, oh, Titans of Cinema. <laughs> Great. Judge, judge me, not me, ye least. Seventh Seal. Okay, at number eight, I had Solomon Kane. You know, I, that one is a weird one where that didn't get really released that much, but the few people who have seen it either really love it or really hate oh, it. Oh, it's, it's, no, it's bad. Okay. No, 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 no. Anybody who said they love it, they're, they're fucking talking out of their ass. They, they expect it to be worse than what it was. Okay. Which is really bad. Okay. Um, so, yeah, fucking Seventh Seal and Judge Dredd. Jesus. Well, the Specter of Death will definitely be judging us on that particular episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, until then, um, I guess it's time to ride off into the sunset. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good night, everybody. Later. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.